The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Hey, good morning, everyone, and Good morning, Voice America listeners, and welcome to Strategies and Solutions with Dr. Sean, taking on the challenge. Dr. Sean, that's me. So happy to be here with you this morning. Another beautiful day in Southern California. I know that across the nation, we have lots of different weather going on, windstorms, hurricanes, but it's absolutely beautiful here. I do hope that during the last week, you were able to remember to see some of your successes which I'm sure was filled with many challenges as usual. You know, what did Liza Minnelli say? Uh, sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're sad, but the world keeps going round. And the world does keep going round. It's amazing how we can deal with all these different issues that we have, but the world seems to keep spinning and the sun keeps coming up every day. Remember, we always have new starts. Last week's show seemed to go pretty darn well. Everybody seemed to enjoy the conversation with Mark Woodsmall and Eva. I really enjoyed it myself. We're going to have them on again as soon as we can. Uh, they were able to share such good information with us. What I loved the most about the show was when Mark described his son as a sweet boy. You know, people come into our office and they're dealing with lots of challenges. They're upset and they usually start describing their child's problems to me and the issues that they're dealing with on a daily basis and they it usually sounds pretty pretty bad that they're dealing with some serious stuff and on my desk sits a little pyramid and that pyramid is there to remind everybody that each person like the pyramid is multifaceted that there isn't just one side to somebody. There's multiple sides. You know, when he described his son as a sweet boy, I mean, I love to hear that. You know, children, they, they come into this world with many, many advantages, you know, but at times some disadvantages. But if you think your your kid first as a kid and not a behavior, how much better life's outlook would be. I don't want anyone to be seen as a problem behavior. You know, I talked about they have trouble advocating for themselves, and that's the main issue, not behavior. And it's interesting because I'll have these conversations with parents or teachers who come to my office, and I actually have a little restroom in my office too. And so they'll go into wash off their face or whatever, and there's another pyramid in the bathroom. 
and it's to keep reminding them of this multifaceted idea. You know, these kiddos have trouble advocating. They often don't communicate well or they're so frustrated inside they don't know how to advocate for themselves. But they're not a behavior. They're a person. And we've got to focus on skills that the individual is capable of and the true person or kiddo or adult is, who they really are, without emphasizing their problems as the main descriptor of who they are, and leave out all the good stuff. We tend to leave out all the good stuff about the kids, and the good stuff is what we need to build on. What kind of life is it? You know, it's the compassionate thing to do, to think about how can I make this kiddo's life better, but it's also compassionate to think about how the parent's life has to work well for them and has to get better so that they can go to work and have relationships and do the things that they want to do in their daily life. It's very hard, but if you're always only seeing the negative, the likelihood of growth is going to be pretty minimal and you're only going to see the negative. You're only going to be down on yourself because you're going to continually see the problem and not see any successes. Last week I talked about Jeannie Castillo, who's a parent, and I'll say she has said some really interesting things. She said, as a parent of children with special needs, I believe it's critical for us to constantly educate ourselves on the needs of our children and how we can best help them achieve their potential. How we can best help them perceive their potential. It's so important that the kids have goals, that the family has goals, but then again also that mom and dad have goals too. For me, as a parent, And this is Jeannie continuing. For me as a parent, this includes being updated on the latest information regarding not only our children's condition, because they don't want to just know about autism or or developmental disability. I mean, they know this stuff. They want to know what, what are the things that I can do to make my kid's life better. But they want to know about parenting in general, finding out, finding and working closely with the right group of doctors, therapists, teachers, and professionals to help our children. And also have a strong will and fortitude to claim responsibilities as parents and our ability to affect the lives of our children for the better. Again, this is a form of compassion. Always thinking about what can I do to make my kiddo's life better. Because of my son, and this is again continuing with what Jeannie had to say, because of my son, I'm a better parent. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better person. Without a doubt, my son has taught me and continues to teach me and my family the best and true meaning of life, and I'm truly grateful. All is well. You know, what a form of compassion coming from Jeannie. She says that she wants the best for her child. She wants to continue to teach him the right things teach him things to be successful, but he teaches her so much and how much we learn from our kids and from the people that we work with. What an inspiring thought Jeannie Castillo shares with us. She thinks of her son as a tool for learning and not an aversive. It's very, very hard to not think of the situations as aversive. You're having behavioral issues daily. more than likely go on throughout the day. You're tired, you, 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 you feel incompetent. So 
if you focus primarily on all of those issues, you're going to feel more tired and more uh, downbeaten. But if you're able to focus on some of the positives, and this is where, I, again, I talk about that bodhisattva, the warrior helper. Jeannie is definitely a bodhisattva. She's a warrior helper, and she has a lot of compassion. As parents, she says, we need to first believe in our children to love and guide them, to teach them. Now, that's really important to, to, to look at. You know, as parents, we need to first believe in our children. One of the things that we attempt to do is pull together professionals to help parents get through the issues, the problems, the, to help them raise their kids. And it, it's called synthesis. It's actually another Buddhist term, to tell you the truth. It's an idea as is compassion, that with synthesis, you're going to have many people trying to come up with ideas, thinking what is the right thing to do, and and most often, those ideas are going to clash amongst the people that are trying to help. And that clashing is actually what builds up your ability to get stronger and learn from the experience. You know, from that, you can teach your child. The strength comes from faith, but the hard part is that synthesis, that ability to have the professionals all on the same page with the parent, and that it works for the kiddo, too. And you often will see a lot of backlash. You'll see a lot of upsetness because it's very, very difficult on parents to raise their child and to know what's right and what's wrong to do. And so when somebody else comes into their life and tells them, hey, you should do it this way or you should do it that way, and they haven't been doing it this way or that way, they feel bad about themselves. And so the goal is to learn from each situation and learn from the people who are have opposite thought that you do, because some of that will help you to grow and to learn. Uh, that strength that comes from faith, that faith that your child can succeed and he's on this earth for a reason, a reason of love and joy, not angst and punishment. Andrea B. Martinez Gacos wrote an article called Take, called Take Me to the Journey, Even When It's Going to Get Rough. In this story, she talks about her daughter being born healthy, totally fine, no problems at all, and at age two, she acquired encephalitis, causing her to lose many of her skills that she had developed. So this was going to be a whole new beginning. And, you know, there's a, a, a story in our special ed world. It's called A Trip to Holland. And you decide that as a family, you want to go take a trip to Holland. So you learn everything about Holland. You learn about windmills. You learn about uh, the funny shoes. You learn about uh, anything else that's in Holland. And you get on the plane and... And you're reading your photos guide to, to Holland and the plane lands and you get off and you're in China and you don't know where to stay or you don't know what to do. You don't know the language. You don't know how to order something. You don't know. You're completely confused. This is similar to what it's like when you have a child and the child is growing inside and you have all these ideas of what you want to do with that kiddo and then there's problems that occur and it takes you on a different path. 
but it's that path that is so interesting at times. Ever Woodsball talked about it last week, that sometimes you're on a path and you get on this detour and the detour actually becomes the new path. See, Andrea said she believes in the use of two four-letter words. Now, I got some four-letter words too, but these four-letter words are so positive. Hope and love. It is only hope and love that will support you through the tough times. As a parent, we talk about the need to have goals for children and small objectives to get them to their goals. But what I found is in order to stay focused on hope and love, the parent, care provider, teacher needs to not only have goals for their kiddos, but they've got to have goals for themselves. It's one of those things that is so important. If one is always working on accomplishing other people's goals and you have none of your own, you'll become upset after a while. You won't be able to see your own growth. In the psych world, we call it countertransference. It's this idea that, okay, so your client or the person you're working with, the parent, the teacher, they're going to have a lot of frustration built up, anger inside, things going on. And so they're, you come into the room, you come into their home to help, and you start pointing out things that are difficult for them or a different way to do things, and they start seeing feeling shame or guilty about not doing things right and they start thinking well if that client or if that student or if that kid just acted the right way I wouldn't have these issues I wouldn't have these problems that I'm having and that's the countertransference it's like when you hear the kiddo is sick for the day and he's not coming to school or you don't have to provide service and all of a sudden you go yeah great because you don't have to on that particular day deal with the issues that's countertransference it's this issue of not wanting to uh, uh, perform your professional duties, but also feeling that you have aversives being put on you. And that kicks in when we're taking on challenges and supporting others through those challenges. But because of the amount of time and energy we spend on the goals, we begin to forget about our own needs. So the goal for families is to make sure no one is forgotten and that all are able to focus on achievable, productive life goals. The parent's goal can't be, and the teacher's goal can't be for the end of the morning, for the kiddo to leave, for the kid, for the, for the end of the school day. That's not the goal. The goal is to have a productive life. At Total Programs, we try and teach our staff this concept by developing not only goals for the clients, but for them as individual therapists, so that they can continue to have the energy necessary to support hope and love through their work in the households or in the classrooms. We have to support parents. If they're going to support their kids, we've got to help them. Hillary Clinton said it takes a village and it does. By law, it is a right and by the traits of humanistic existence, this is the right thing to do. Again, it's compassion. It's that social validity issue that we spoke of on the first show of why we do what we do. But it's hard and it can feel very defeating if you only focus on continual problems and have no one there to point out your successes and help you to repeat them. That's what our staff is there to do, to point out the things that are working correctly, working right, and to try and do them again. 
it's often that it's going to get more difficult before it gets easier. This is expected. And when you have a prepared, competent individual by your side, you can deal with it. See, we call it an extinction burst. When somebody's used to getting reinforced for something, for instance, say my kiddo yells across the house all the time, Papa, Papa, I want you, I need you. And I always respond, okay, Millie, what do you need? What do you need? She's going to always do that. Now, I start to say, okay, you know what? I don't want to get yelled at anymore. I'm kind of sick of this. So I'm going to, you need to come up to me to talk to me if you want to talk to me about something. So something comes up and she yells across the house, Papa, and I don't respond this time because I've said I need her to come up to me. So instead, what happens? She gets louder. Papa, please, Papa. That getting louder or getting more forceful with the behavior is what we expect because she's used to us uh, uh, following through with her when she yells across the house. Well, now, you know, the new behavior will be learned, but it's going to take time. And I've got to remember, hey, this is going to, this is supposed to happen. This extinction burst is supposed to happen. Services and supports must be at a level a parent or a teacher can handle. If it's too much for them, they aren't going to do it. And if the situation could get very much worse for them. So we must carefully design programs so that they are perceived as support and not as an additional challenge. Um, one of the things that I talked about a couple weeks ago was this idea in behavior of behaviors of feet. And I said feet is F-E-A-T, feet, F being the function, E being the efficiency. Well, again, just to focus on the efficiency of a behavior, that's what somebody's going to do. They're going to focus on what's easiest for them to do and what works quickly for them. They don't want more difficult things. They want things that help them out. And that's what our goal is. Our goal is to find the efficient tool that works just as well as the tools, the things that they've been doing that maybe haven't worked so well. So today, we're real lucky. We've got with us Augie Jimenez and Lizzie Grizzle, two directors from Total Programs, that helped me run the show. They both have extreme extensive histories with individuals with disabilities and have a passion for the work they do. We'll talk with them later on the show, discuss how pro- home programs are developed, but also why they got into this work and what their ideas are for the future supports for people. So we'll be back in a couple minutes and thank you for listening this morning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. 
At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope you had a good little break, got yourself maybe a cup of coffee, and uh, sat down to listen to the rest of our show. Very happy this morning to have with me two of my favorite people. I have this morning Augie Jimenez and Lindsay Grizzle. They both have been working with me in total programs for, oh, about a decade, and have made such differences in what our programs do to help families. So, good morning, Augie. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, and good morning, Lindsay. How you doing? We're doing just fine. I'm happy to have you both on the show. Um, you guys have been doing this work for a while now. Um, you have your own kids, too. Lindsay, congratulations, too. Just had her third child, and we're so excited for her. And you know what it's like to be parents. You know that it can be a challenge just for the typical parent. So I was just kind of wondering, Augie, what got you into working with individuals with disabilities? Uh, well, um, I became um, interested in uh, working with children and adults with uh, intellectual disabilities and, uh, and you know, really the science that we provide behavior analysis at the same time. Uh, it was a combination of the two that really inspired or motivated me to uh, dedicate most of my professional life to it. My first experience working uh, with uh, individuals with intellectual disabilities came from my experience at a center where we provided some rec and leisure skill development programs uh, to young uh, to young children and adults with uh, disabilities, and it was sort of like an after school program type of program. Yeah, tell me uh, more about tell tell me more about the rec and leisure. What does that really mean? Uh, so you know, we would focus on you know different um, types of you know play skills. Um, you know, whether it was uh, playing simple, you know, uh, sports games or uh, doing simple activities like, you know, uh, coloring and arts and crafts and things of that nature to, um, you know, to really kind of expand, um, you know, some of our kids' uh, skill sets and give them, you know, experiences, um, you know, like that of their uh, typically developing peers. That's great because so often the kids have difficulty with their downtime, just kind of knowing what to do with their downtime, and playing with others is often 
a challenge so they had a chance to kind of practice it with you after school. Correct. Nice. Do you uh, yeah, have... So, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, you know, it was, it was a combination of the two. So, you know, one of the things, one of the, you know, specific experiences that I remember was with uh, this young boy, he was probably about eight or nine years old, and um, he was, uh, you know, sitting down at snack time. That was another good time to practice some skills, uh, you know, sitting with your peers, having snack, enjoying some time together. And uh, one of the first times that, you know, this, you know, this love for, you know, working with uh, with this population and, uh, you know, and ways to, um, to help and improve um, you know, life skills and things of that nature kind of dawned on me was, just, you know, kind of clever little game that he was playing with me, you know, unbeknownst to me where he would basically run run away from the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would go and, you know, very eagerly chase them and bring them back. And, you know, it was, it seemed like a lot of fun, you know, for both of us. But, you know, after probably about five or six times, you know, it kept on happening. Um, and, you know, very naively to me, um, you know, so one of my coworkers pointed out to me, you know, why he's doing that, right? I'm like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really know. It's like, oh, well, you're making it fun for him. Um, and, you know, at that point, it kind of dawned on me how, you know, your, the way that you react to things can really have an effect on, on other people. And oh, uh, totally. so that's how the two for me kind of came together um, and how you perceive you know, very things. well. How you perceive it, right? You know, is he running away from me because he's being quote unquote non-compliant, not listening to directions, or is he running away from me because he's really he's having fun and he's trying to engage me in fun? And sometimes we find that our kiddos they they want to have fun and engage, but they don't know how to, so they start doing stuff that looks like a behavior, but really, if you really kind of understand the kid by spending time with them and seeing them, you get hey, you know, that's actually him trying to have some fun. You've actually devoted your, you really said it, your whole life to to this work and have recently, uh, uh, not recently, but in the last couple of years completed some graduate degrees too and you're now teaching at Cal State Los Angeles also. So been very impressed with what you've been doing over the last couple of years. What do you think, um, uh, let me go to Lindsay here for a second. Uh, First of all, Lindsay, tell me a little bit about what got you into this work. You came to me like almost like I said, like 10 years ago. You were supposed to do a six-week internship in communication skills. You were working with a professor at Cal State Fullerton. And I'm sorry, but I realized how wonderful you were, and I stole you away. And I kept you stolen away from everybody for the last 10 years. You actually live out of state, and you commute to California to help us with our programs, but you also do a lot of stuff from far away, from online and helping our directors and supervisors and parents. So tell me, what got you into this? I was always kind of interested in psychology, and I did, my undergrad was in speech therapy, and I got hooked up with a family that, um, through, through the professor I was doing research with, to babysit a three-year-old. He had autism. And my first experience with autism was walking into this family's house and seeing him sitting on the floor reading his dad's um, psychiatry books out loud. (laughs) And I was just like, whoa, that is so cool. He um, had hyperlexia and autism. And he... What does that mean? What does that mean? He... 
he was able to, he would look at a word or be able to recognize letters, put the letters together and read, but not necessarily comprehend what, okay. what he was reading. Yeah, kind of like my little guy, Adam, that I had worked with in San Francisco, who I sat with and pointed out words to him. I don't know if you heard the earlier shows, but I had a similar kid that I started with that was a word caller, but couldn't com- wasn't comprehending what words he was reading. So anyways, keep going. Tell me. Yeah, well, I was pretty hooked after that. He, just to kind of see him using parts of his brain that I'll never be able to use and kind of the the things that he could do was just amazing. And I spent about three years, I think, with the family. And it was a great experience because I was in the home and I was kind of able to see the blessings and the curses of, you know, having a kid with autism. And this kid could program buildings into AutoCAD at five years old, but he mm-hmm. had to use the blue toothbrush. You know, he couldn't use right. the green toothbrush and that creates so much stress on the family, just the little things. So, you know, it was great experience. Especially when they just when they're just yep. focusing on those it problems. If they start focusing on all of his exciting abilities, then even though the blue toothbrush is still a pain in the rear, it's not as much of a challenge. It's not as much of a pain because you got the other things to think about that were successes and were positives. Um, what kind of uh, work were you doing with the parents? You, I, I could see you helping the child in a certain way, but what, what was your goal with the mom and dad? Um, this was very early in getting into the field, and sometimes it's even even better because you're you kind of see what the family really needs because you're you're in there, and it's not so we. I didn't have a referral to come in and do a formal assessment and to provide hours for the family. I went in, and I it was just support from the beginning to the end of the time I was with him, and one of the biggest things for the family was just kind of accepting phone calls during family crisis moments and kind of walking them through moments that were very difficult, even though most of the time they knew what to do, just they couldn't do it without having a little go ahead or push from somebody that support during the the challenging times. Well, sometimes we do something to, you, you said they probably knew what to do, but sometimes we end up doing things that reinforce or help the challenging behavior. For instance, if a kid is kind of in a situation he maybe he doesn't want to be in, he's at the dinner table or something like that, and he's acting out because he doesn't want to be there, and then you, the parent says, okay, well, you're going into timeout. It puts him in another room or puts him away from the table, and he seems to be happy as a lark, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> she turns him to the table and he starts having a you know, tantrum again, and she puts him in timeout again. Well, what we realize there is that that timeout is really for the parent, not for the kid. It's an aversive, it's removing the aversive of the, for the parent. If the parent sees the kid as a aversive, for one, they're not likely to make big uh, progressive go- jumps with them. But at the same time, they are not, at times it, they need, it needs to be pointed out to a parent, hey, you know what, just so you know, even though he was acting out at the table, that may be reinforcing the behavior that you want, which is acting out at the table by allowing him to leave. Because what happens is after he starts to act out and make noise or whatever, you remove him. Sometimes you can't see that as a parent. You think that you're disciplining and doing the right thing when you're actually reinforcing an issue that you don't want to be reinforcing. 
Right. So how do you kind of deal with that? How do you, you know, when a parent is already thinks that they're in the know, in a sense, because they do know their kid. They're mindful. They understand who their child is. But when they start, you know, when you start observing and start seeing things that aren't working well, how do you, how do you let a parent know that? I mean, I think, I think um, that, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Either one. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I think it does start with, you know, with the, you know, your assessment or your, you know, your analysis, right? So the parent, you know, has, um, has some skills, obviously, uh, that they're using, but it might not seem so obvious, even like, um, even like myself with my first example where I, you know, where I, you know, how I got into this or how I started to like it, I had no idea that I was, you know, quote, doing the wrong thing or supporting some, some problem behavior. But, um, you know, if, if you're able to, as a helper, do some analysis and understand why it happens, and then you yourself put together some solutions with their collaboration uh, and, and, you know, essentially show them that this could be uh, a successful thing and, and work with them and, and approach it in a way that um, isn't coming from, you know, oh, this is, this is what you should do, you know, because I'm the expert, but more so just working with them, you know, much like what Lindsay had said, being supportive with them, you know, understanding that these are things that, you know, that happen with, um, with a lot of different folks um, that you could a lot of times get their respect and get their collaboration just by, you know, working on the same plane with them. But it all begins with, you know, with being able to analyze, um, you know, the circumstances and understand why, what's supporting the kiddo's behavior uh, and then yeah, having the, a plan in place that's effective. And what's supporting the good stuff and what's supporting the not good stuff. I had a, a conversation with the parent. See, there are certain words that get used too that may be confusing. For instance, I was talking with the parent that child is young man, 23 years old, and um, has a lot of different issues going on and does a lot of acting out in the community. And I spoke to the dad about being uh, looking at some responsibility for himself. And the responsibility idea was that he would have an understanding that his behavior affects other people and that it affects him either in a good way or bad way and that the consequences around his behavior are what uh, keep it happening, what maintain it. And dad said to me, well, we've been told many times and in many different assessments that consequences don't work with my son. Now, that's because the word consequence was thought of as a negative. The word consequence was thought of as a punishment when the word consequence actually means the thing that happens after the behavior. So those things that happen after the behavior tend to either reinforce them to happen again or in a sense punish them so that they don't happen again. And when we say punish, it just means that there's some aversive attached to the situation that you don't want to do that thing again. So dad, for the first time, said, oh, he had an aha moment because he realized you know, the word consequence in my head meant punishment, but the word consequence in the way Dr. Sean's talking about it, it means the thing that's going to reinforce or maintain the behavior. So if we go out and steal things and then we're able to keep them, that's going to be able to make, that's going to maintain the behavior to do it again. But if we have to return the items, apologize and pay for the items, 
then that might be something that allows the person to take responsibility for their issue. And we often have in our programs these things called token economy systems where we are rewarding for good behavior and that those reward points or tokens or whatever can later be turned in for bigger prizes or bigger rewards. So you save up all your reinforcement so you can spend it later. But part of an economy is also that part that you have to spend. Like I can drive 100 miles an hour to get to an appointment and I'll get there faster. But if I get pulled over, I'm going to get a ticket and I'm going to have to pay for that ticket. That's my response to my behavior. And so often, and then for a while, I probably won't speed. So the idea in a token economy is that you pay, you get paid for your good stuff and you pay for the stuff. So if you want to have a tantrum, okay, that's going to be five points to have a tantrum, have it. But it's your responsibility to take ownership of it. And that is the, the goal in our parent education is to try and make sure that parents understand how certain terms or certain actions can affect their kids. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's the, the hard part <laughs> is, um, like Augie said, I'd, going in and identifying what what those contingencies or those relationships are between the behavior and how the parents are reacting. So first identifying it and then and then I think really getting in there and really trying to demonstrate for the family, having them a part of it, but doing it at times where... Um, where there is support in there for them. So once they start seeing and kind of catching on, hey, I, I understand that now when I'm chasing him, he's doing it for fun and he's going to do it again next time he wants to, to play, um, they, you'll get a little bit more buy-in once they start seeing that that um, the strategies that we're using are, are being successful and then get them in there to, do, right. to follow those strategies and it you know, can carry over. It does. It becomes like a translation. Like we almost act like an, as an interpreter that is attempting yeah. to figure out what this communication is that that kiddo is trying to put out. That's why the fact that you started your career in communications is so important. Now, we've come to one of those times again where we need to take a little break. So we'll be back in a couple minutes with Augie and Lindsay, and we'll be discussing more things about special education and how to support parents and some of the things that we do in our programs. So hang in there. We'll be back in a couple moments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm... 
we introduce you to the concept of Renshui, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seanservice at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. We've been enjoying a conversation with Augie Jimenez and Lindsay Grizzle, two of the directors of Total Programs, and we were discussing the ideas of how to support parents, how we figure out what certain behavioral issues are communicating. They don't always communicate what we think they're communicating. We, I always tell my students, too, like when you get this call that this kid is doing something in particular, they need you to come over and help, don't start problem-solving until you get there because you're not going to really know what the problem is. The parent, the parent or the teacher or the care provider or whatever might des- describe the problem in a certain way. But when you get there, you realize, hey, this is not just this one kid. This is all these kids in this class. Or these are an interaction between the kid and his sister, not so much independently. And we start to really evaluate and look at what's making this family tick. What's making this... Uh, uh, classroom work or not work. So, Augie, earlier you you started to talk about your evaluative process, how you kind of go in and start to figure out what's going on. So, continue with that if you don't mind. Like, what when you get a, a referral for a, for a client, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I think you you definitely started and you touched on some of the important things of you know not problem solving too early. I think it's uh, supremely important to be uh, as objective as possible going into this. So, you you know, you really have to, you know, reduce some of those things out in terms of you know, being able to draw conclusions before you actually start to see, see things. So, And, and you know uh, why we do that? I don't know. I'm so sorry to interrupt. You know why that happens okay. is because where so much pressure is put on the quote-unquote specialist to solve the problem and figure it out and stop the issue from happening, that when you get to that classroom or that home, that person wants that instantaneous answer. You know, they're like, okay, I've been figuring things out for for years. You're the one who's supposed to be the expert now, and you should have the answers to this. So how do you find some of those answers? Right. And so, and so it does take, um, you know, a little bit of patience and in, in communicating that to, um, you know, to the families is important. It's a, it's a process. It's an assessment or, um, or, you know, we like to say an analysis. Um, you know, and the analysis always does begin with, you know, usually the, you know, the client's, um, you know, or the, the kiddo's behavior um, and, and trying to find out. There's a lot of, you know, support in, here at Total. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty good at doing some pretty solid 
analysis to figure out, you know, what's going on in the family to and the dynamic between the child and the family uh, that are supporting those uh, those behaviors. Um, and then, you know, once we start in that process of figuring out those relationships, uh, and we're usually working, you know, I'm usually working in a supervisory role here, uh, the collaboration in terms of, okay, I, I know what I think will work, um, and I need to propose something to the family, uh, and I need to walk them through, you know, this is how... Um, this is how we're going to, to do this. And a lot of times, like, you know, you get um, some agreement and, you know, correspondence with, okay, well, this is, this sounds good. Um, and one of the, one of the really important things is, is walking somebody through, this is how it's going to go and, and showing them this is how it's going to happen. Uh, much like what uh, Lindsay had said before is not just saying, okay, well, this is what I recommend that you do and, and letting them do it is, uh, showing them this is how it's going to be done. And if they have any feedback about, well, I don't know how he's going to take, you know, this part of the intervention, this might be difficult for them because of, you know, whatever the reasons are. Those are important. Uh, those are important portions of feedback to take into how you, how we move forward because it's going to ultimately be the type of thing that gets them more involved in the pro in the process, um, for example, you know one thing that we will commonly recommend uh, is some uh, functional communication uh, training, which is you know a pretty widely used intervention. Uh, Tell me what that means standards. when you say what, Augie. One sec, when you say functional communication, what does that mean? Uh, that means that we're teaching somebody to communicate for the thing that was supporting their problem behavior. Uh, so if their problem behavior is supported by escaping a situation, then we're teaching them to say, I need a break, for example. Mm-hmm. Giving so, them some responsibility for their own behavior, their own their own existence. That's great. Correct. And so if, if along the way in proposing this is how we're going to do this, the parent says, well, I think that this might be too synthetic of a way of doing it, or this might be too unnatural or whatever. And we take a lot of times we'll take their suggestion with, okay, well, you know, how, how might you, you know, naturally do this? And and we really want to hear that feedback from them because that means that they are, you know, interested or motivated to, to do this in, you know, the context of their family, family routine. So those are those are some of the things that we that we look at when we're when we're starting to do again analysis of of why you know the, the kids or uh, the adults are having some issues uh, some of the some of the things that the parents have as preferences and those are really important things to take into consideration and and having overall success with with the parent and the family adopting some of these procedures um, or these you know changes in their life um, for the long term. Yeah, because they're they are big changes, and now this is going to sound kind of funny, but do you know what mechanic syndrome is? No. So mechanic syndrome is your car has been breaking down all week long. You drive it down to the mechanic to finally get it fixed, and you pull into the mechanic's lot, and it's purring like a kitten. It the car has no problems at all. You can't figure out why. As soon as you got there, it didn't have the issues. Have you ever? gone to a home and the kid where the referral was the kiddos is having major major issues and you get there and the kiddos as mellow as can be there's no issue mm-hmm. yes so how do you measure that how do we measure a 
an issue that exists but is not being clearly presented in front of us at the time of our observation. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes it, I think it becomes, you know, being, uh, being accustomed or getting into, uh, getting into the family routine because there are many times, and that's usually one of my goals is to try to, uh, in one way or another, set up the circumstances for me to see the issues that the family is happening. And, and it's not always the case. You know, you, sometimes uh, they see somebody like myself and I have maybe my voice or my, you know, I'm a tall guy. I don't know. They might think that, oh, well, I'm not going to engage in any, um, you know, problems with, with this guy around. But then after a while, I become used to being there. They're yes. used to me being there. Mm-hmm. And these things do um, do begin, begin to come out as you know, we become more part of the of the family routine. Uh, right, so and we actually through, we have. Oh, I'm sorry. We actually have some yeah. evaluative tools that we use to look at behavior when we're not there, like teaching the parent how to take notes, how to observe right. things, how to put things into a what happened before the behavior and what happened after. We do that so that the parent not only. So, like, the re- same reason that you said you have to be part of the family, if they're not part of the assessment, they're not going to take ownership of it. And if they don't take ownership of any of that assessment, they're probably not going to do it. Lindsay, you spend a lot of time supervising our supervisors. You spend a lot of time teaching our lead teachers how to teach. Why do you do that? Why don't you just write a plan and give it to the parent and say, here you go. Here's the plan. Follow it. Um, the more training that our supervisors have and the more training that our staff have, the better they're going to do in situations that come up in the home, the better that the therapist is going to be able to stick to whatever plan's written, and the more successful the family's going to be. So we focus a lot on making sure that our supervisors and staff have are, are trained in ABA but also in other types of skills, like counseling. One of our staff's favorite trainings that they like to come to is called working with parents. So it's making sure that they know ABA, know the technologies to follow through with a plan, but also that we're teaching them the skills when they go in there and they have a parent that's resistant or a parent that is really feeling down about themselves, how to be able to still implement that, implement that plan with in that particular situation. So those are counseling skills that we really, that are, that we feel are really important for, for the people going in there to help the families have. Absolutely. And sometimes the family, it's so difficult to see the forest through the trees. You know, you can't, there's so much stuff going on that they can't see how their own behavior is affecting things well or poorly. And what do you do to keep the supervisor uh, or, or the direct person that's working with the kid, how do you keep them, how do you, in a sense, like motivated to, to do the work? How do you keep them motivated to stay on a case? Well, we, the motivation has to come through the successes that the, the child's having and also the successes that the, the parents are having. Mm-hmm. And we can't get frustrated as the therapist. We... We must help the parent by being on their side. A lot of times it seems like we're going into homes and where we have an underlying reason to, to be there and 
you know, sometimes it can feel that we're work, we're working against the parents, but we all got into this field to be on the on the parent side, and so that's a good thing to kind of portray to staff when they're having a difficult time. Is you know, don't get frustrated if things not working out. This Nothing's is, ever really going to work out. We have to tailor yeah. what we're doing and get back in there. This is why I'm not into that concept with our staff of a change agent that they have to go in and change everything. It puts so much stress on everybody to, to feel that everything has to be changed and made different when really what we're looking at is supporting the things that do work for the family and trying to point out the things that aren't working even though they may use them because they maybe stop the behavior, the aversive thing from happening or they, uh, uh, in some way it works for them. But it really it doesn't because it's wearing them out. And, you know, guys, there's a future for these kids that we're talking about. They're getting older. They're, you know, the, the young adults are turning into older adults. The older adults are turning into geriatric adults. We are seeing this now. What, what do you think needs to happen in the future for our, for, for our families and our clients? Because the families aren't going to live. The mothers and the dads are not going to live as long as their kids. So what kind of plans do we need to start creating now for our young adults? I'll throw it out to either one of you. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the emphasis on, on a lot of, you know, vocational, um, vocational types of uh, programs and uh, looking at ways to increase those particular skill sets and, you know, understanding, you know, you know what, are, what are life skills that are important towards um, towards living a more independent life uh, with you know with less supports going forward and what are life skills that are going to help individuals feel um, you know like a complete and um, and satisfied individual what it, what's what's going to get um, what's going to get our you know our kids who are going to be then adults and older adults what's, what's going to keep them getting getting up in the morning and doing their morning routine and getting you know, to, to work or some type of program, what's, uh, what's their, what's their motivation and, and trying to help them navigate the things that we, we try to do for ourselves as, as adults, you know, uh, and as you know, and I, the same things that you're trying to do for your typical developing kids, like Lindsay, what are your, the goals that you have for your children are the goals that you would want for the parents to have that you work with. And so if you are looking at, what they're going to be doing later on in life, what type of, uh, of goals or suggestions or things might you start looking at? Augie had mentioned vocational, but who else in the family might need to be prepared for yes, the future? You, you lay it out. When you talk to parents, you lay it out to them how it's going to be, and that's so refreshing to hear. Like you, like you just told us in the audience that the parents, the parents are not going to be there forever. They can't help the kid put on his shoes forever. So I think really just kind of instilling that into the parents to create some sort of motivation of setting goals for their kids long-term and um, really motivating them to, that there is kind of a timeline for this, this person to learn skills to live on their own or um live in some sort of assisted environment. Um, right, and we do hope that 
and we do hope that they will build up enough skills so that they can live as independently as possible. Believe it or not, we're done with the show for today. That's all we have. Next week, we'll continue our talk about intervention programs and our emphasis in supporting families. Lindsay and Augie, thank you so much. I'm sorry I had to cut it short there. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I want to have you guys on again. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your successes. And know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings to you all. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.